Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Odds, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz podcast where we discuss. Yeah, this is this is becoming an every episode occurrence. I can't even get through the intro. I'm five seconds in and the applause happens. Okay, (laughs) a podcast where we discuss the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. I'm Danny Van. We have Aaron Curran, Adam Powers. Hello. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about. Uh, everyone's favorite topics, polygamy and slavery. Mm. Okay. So here's the setup for favorite us. Favorite topics for us all. Yes. And I, I I feel like I'm starting to say this every week, but people are like, why the heck are you talking about polygamy and slavery? It's just people keep asking questions, right? They keep asking us, okay, if the Bible's against polygamy and the Bible's against abuse and the purchasing, uh, the, the kidnapping, the purchasing, the selling of individuals, then why does it seem on the converse to condone those things or to read the outline that our brilliant communications director, Maggie, created for us. God made very clear in the Bible that certain activities are dishonorable, off limits, evil, sin, including adultery and abuse. Yet you see all over the Old Testament and honestly, even in the New Testament, that God's people are having multiple wives uh, you see instances of abuse and slavery and instructions to slave owners and to slaves themselves. And this all causes skeptics, non-believers, anti-theists, and even Christians alike to wonder how God could cause something sin, yet still seem to permit it or even engage in it or ordain it himself. Does this show a contradiction or inconsistency? Were polygamy and or slavery allowed in the Bible? That's what we're talking about today. Adam has all the answers to your questions. They're very good questions. They're very he, common He and questions. his multiple wives have oh all the answers to your questions. <laughs> you know, I actually made a blunder this, this past Sunday at church. Yeah. I'm, I never give the announcements, but somehow I got slated for it this time in the administration of the church, <coughs> Andrew. And... Um, <laughs> And I was up there and I always misspeak during it. And I introduced one of our elders and I said, here's one of our elders and one of his wives. Oh, <laughs> and everybody, my god! I didn't catch it. And all of a sudden I saw everyone's faces and I was like, did I say something wrong? Oopsie. It's a funny uh, moment. You know what, man? <laughs> this is because you're a manuscript preacher, which we need to do a podcast on manuscript versus no notes Oh, preaching. we should. That, that would be fun for like three people. But anyway, we're going to get back on slavery and polygamy for today because these are a lot of questions you guys have submitted. It's coming in our young adult gatherings. It's coming online. So uh, we want to talk about it and see what the Bible has to say. So, Danny, you can take it away. Okay. So I guess we have to define Mm. what we're talking about. Like, what do people think of when they think of polygamy and slavery? And is that what is in the Bible? Is there some, like, misconceptions around that? Let's just clear the the water there first. Are we taking them both at the same time or separately? What Poly- do you What do you guys want? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, tell us. Um, can we start with polygamy? Up. Let's start with polygamy, man. Can't okay. hear you. Tell us about your wives. The, this is one I think, as opposed to the other one that we'll talk about, where I think the image in the mind when people have it of polygamy 
is something of what they see in the pages of the Old Testament, perhaps though informed by modern images of Mormonism yeah, and, you know, TLC shows with 19 kids and things like this and stuff like that. So, but I mean, is, is there a better definition for polygamy than just multiple wives? Or multiple husbands. Okay. I mean, it's not usually how it's framed, though. Yeah, no. I, I agree. Well, historically, that's not how it's Yeah, worked. right. So, yeah. I mean, polygamy is is pretty much on the surface. It's not as convoluted, potentially, as sla- the slavery issue is. I don't even know if I should, like, jump into this, but I'm just going to jump in and say, well, like, while I would say the Bible doesn't out and out expressly say don't have multiple wives, like... Oh, I think it does. And I know that you would. Um <laughs> Also, I'm kind of like, why Why is this even an attack? Like, why does our culture care? Uh, when sexuality is so rampant, it doesn't really matter. Commitment matters so little. Why is this even an attack? What, what it's saying is, let's say that I have seven wives, and I've entered into a covenant relationship with all of them, and I'm committed to all of them. Okay. Like, what, what is the beef culturally speaking with that? You know, like where I think the issue is, how I understand it, is that the kind of the statement from the Lord or the declared way that's right, clearly from Genesis, the book of Genesis is one man and one woman coming together in marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's supposed to work. Bone and, of my bone, yeah, flesh yeah, of my and so flesh. So you're joined together in this covenantal relationship. And that is clearly the prescription of marriage. That's the, the word pattern. I was looking for. Yeah. The pattern that's there. And what you do under, what you do see is you never see, I believe you never see any condoning of this, even though God's people do this. And actually conversely, you see misery every time someone in scripture and historically takes multiple wives for themselves. Because mm-hmm. all you're doing is hitching yourself to more sinners when you do that. <laughs> and you're violating this clear principle that while, and Adam, I'm sure is going to bring up the passage in the verse. But while, while I would argue it doesn't say like line upon line, don't have a bunch of wives. The principle is clearly in play, which actually speaks really heavily toward a lot of other things we do because so many people in our day are like, well, scripture never says that, but it does principally. Mm -hmm. And so we don't like transgress that. Right. And so that's, that's how, like, when I, when I hear this, I'm like, look, just because people did something in the Bible, I mean, people did a lot of things in the Bible. They're recorded for us historically. That does not give us permission to do those things. They are prescript, or I'm sorry, descriptive passages, not prescriptive passages. They're describing historical events that took place. They're not prescribing for us how we ought to live. People violated the word of the Lord all the time in the Old Testament, New Testament, and since then. Mm -hmm. So anyway, take it away. Give us your text. First Kings chapter 11, verse one, the first few verses, one to three, one to four. Uh, Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Yet Solomon clung close to them in love. He had 700. That's a lot. 700 wives. Who were princesses. I mean, they're, they're not just wives. They're all Yeah, and princesses. I think that's something worth mentioning is that in antiquity, when a man or especially a king or no woman would marry multiple women, it was typically not because he was looking necessarily for pleasure. It was for a political alliance and power and more clout. I mean, And most of these well, probably but, were arranged. Yeah, exactly. From those other nations. Some of them potentially never even met. Or yeah, met wanting to one latch time. on yeah. to Solomon yeah. for his fame yeah. and wealth and wisdom, right? But then it says... And 300 concubines, so there's a thousand, and his wives turned away 
his heart after other gods, and his heart was wholly not true to the Lord as God, as was the heart of David, his father. Interesting comment there from the author of Kings. And so, like you're saying, hermeneutics matters. This is the big fancy word for how we interpret the Bible. If we're going to interpret the Bible or have a hermeneutic that says, it's kind of like a wooden literalism where we take everything at face value to mean exactly the same thing. And if the Bible says it, we therefore can do it, ought to do it, take it all as law and command from God. We're not interpreting the Bible as we ought to. And you say, well, we should interpret the Bible literally. And we want to say yes and amen to this, but literally means according to its literary genre, which then means in historical narrative, we will often find, this is just a fancy way of describing exactly what you said. In historical narrative, we find- You're saying you're fancier than me? <laughs> is that how this is? Right. This is more words than what you said. How about, how about that? A flex. So, yeah. In yeah. historical narrative, we find the difference between events that are described, descriptions of the events that happened, rather than prescriptions from God to his people about how we ought to live in the midst of life. And so, yes, Abraham, yes, many of his sons, yes, David, yes, Solomon. These are the big examples we find. Solomon's the foremost example in the Old Testament that all those who had many wives. But if we read this with a wooden literalism, you could come away and say, well, I then should have many wives and you should be okay with this wife or husband if I get more of you. But reading according to its genre, its historical narrative, this is something that's described, not prescribed. And in, and clearly in this instance, this is the big proof text here. Many wives turn the heart away. So in fairness, I'm going to yes. push back on you. Do it. Because I'm, I'm still convinced that there's not a biblical mandate away from polygamy. It's just a principle oh. pl- application because the violation here is he's he's doing what god commanded them not to do when they entertain and that is marrying the foreign women so whether it's one or many mm. they were not to marry the edomites the canaanites the amorites they were not to do that they were to drive the inhabitants out of the land we get to the genocide or what is often accused of genocide, yeah. genocide right um is that's the issue is god is saying drive these people out from the land in this text, yeah, I'll give it to you. Yes, that 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 was clearly the issue in verse two. It said it listed out oh, the nations. You're surrendering so but easily. <laughs> even in the, I'm not surrendering. Heck, heck no. <laughs> even in the explicit warnings against, hey, I told you not to do this. You did this, taking wives from all these nations. I told you not to take what you're talking about. Explicit. I'm convinced, hermeneutically. We're not only to embrace what the Bible says explicitly, but what it says implicitly as well. Mm. So then I would say one of the reasons, I mean, explicitly, don't take the gods from the nations, right? This is Canaan. I've, I've told you to dispel this land, to cl- yeah. clear, clear it out, clean, clean house. But implicitly under the surface, why is this so? It's because it goes against the creation mandate in exactly. Genesis 2. And, I, and that's what I'm trying to get at is I'm not, I'm not, Capping on you powers just for the sake of capping. I'm saying that I don't know what even, that means. Even I me, mean, I'm not like I'm not I'm not trying to tear you apart at all. Throwing ever, shade. Ever throwing shade. Yeah. Let's lay all the terms that make us sound like old men. That's so extra um, of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> you guys the, are really showing your yeah, age right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we are. And Adam's a lot younger than me. So what I'm what I'm trying to say is there's just so much in our day where we're where people are like, well, it doesn't like scripture doesn't condemn X, whatever that is. 
And just because it might, you might be able to find loopholes in First Kings or whatever, mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, it's not condemning that. The principle applies of God's prescription for marriage from the beginning. One of the things unchanged by the fall mm-hmm. is it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a singular help, help me, helper for him. Helpers. And that's, that's in no way derogatory or, right. or throwing shade at the ladies by right. him being a helper. Like we're both supposed to be like co-heirs, like trying to help one another in mm-hmm. this thing. Complementary equal. That is how it's, and in the Trinitarian, rela- we actually have the very prescription of marriage from the Trinitarian relationship that the man leaves father and mother and cleaves and the two become one, like the three are one, like the, yeah. the, the Trinitarian relationship Amen. is one. And Amen. so- that's what's really clear for me. It's just like there's this clear principle prescription of like how it's supposed to be. It hasn't worked any other way historically because God's way is the only way that works. Yeah. And so if people want to look surprise, at this and surprise. go and go, well, you know, like I just did and say, well, Solomon, the problem here is he's marrying non-Christian, like non-Jesus loving women, or he's marrying women from pagan nations or whatever. True. That's a lot of the problem. But it goes back further than even First Kings or any of these passages in First Samuel, First Chronicles, whatever, where you see all this polygamy kind of rampant. It goes back to a violation. I mean, look at David. Like David's life was tragedy upon tragedy, oftentimes because, just like Solomon's, uh, he ran after the desires and pleasures of his heart. And, and one of power. his wives was one of the daughters of Saul, his former enemy. I mean, like, look at, and what she is held remembered a grudge for? against him. What is David remembered for? He's remembered for Bathsheba. Goliath and Bathsheba. Yeah. These two things those, throughout those history. Things, yeah. And it's like, mm. you know, and granted Bathsheba wasn't his wife, but then she became his wife. Right. And, it, right. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't like, people aren't like, oh, okay, well, everything's fine now because she's his wife. No, like, you know, there's, there's a problem. There's a lot of problems there. So that's when we talk about polygamy. I don't know. Maybe we've finished that discussion now. Well, no, no. We we can move it. Okay. Sorry. Where are you going? No, go no I was, was going to say it's really clear. Like scripture doesn't condone it. Right. Doesn't say it's okay. Gives us numerous examples of how it fails, mm-hmm. like how it's not working. And we see that historically as well. Yeah. So I don't understand the arguments. I mean, look, if, if attached to coming against the Bible, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts about the Bible, they need to be robust. They need to be like good. Like, like, like solid, consistent attacks. Again, just be like, we're going to grab a straw and try to like break the camel's back on polygamy when scripture yeah. clearly is never like, hey, have a bunch of wives. Like, this right. would be awesome. God loves right. that, you know? That's so, what I was going to say, because I don't think there's, I mean, maybe there's one or two people that are like trying to find this loophole so that they themselves can be polyamorous no, yeah, or, you know, yeah. it's mostly the people that are. You with the big words. It is a big word. Buzzword. $5 <laughs> syllables yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like people trying to dismantle the Bible. Yeah, for sure. Two other things I think we can mention before moving on. This is not only defended or answered well from the Old Testament, but also from the New Testament, right? When Jesus talks about marriage and divorce, he goes to Moses. He goes to the creation mandates in Genesis 1 and 2. And then the rest of the New Testament mm-hmm. echo the master teacher, Jesus, and Paul's description of marriage in Ephesians 5 Never is it mentioned a polyamorous environment. There's Christ and the church. There's husband and wife. But then the second thing we can say, it kind of does seem like a silly question for someone to kind of hang their all on. But the heart behind asking this question is perhaps the heart that is already skeptical to begin with. And therefore, this is just another little thing that they can latch onto to kind of try to beef up their own argument, or we would say f- make their feet more planted in the in midair 
and things like this. And so when you want to find loopholes, you're going to find them. Yeah. And this is usually where this argument in, comes in. In any field of study. Right. Rarely like, is like this. In any field of study, you can do that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Rarely does like a big skeptic begin here with this issue. Yeah. This is miles down the track after you've gone a lot of headway. And then you're like, and polygamy. Yeah. No one begins here, at least that I know of that's yeah, skeptical. It's probably not very common for somebody to be like, I, I love Jesus. I'm a firm believer. But this whole polygamy thing, I think I might like start questioning my faith. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's not that. It's just another kind right. of chink in the armor for yeah. them. I mean, I will say also, and I don't know if anybody out there has a weird mind like mine. But when you hear Adam say there is Jesus and his bride, there could be a tendency to go, well, that's polygamous because it is multiple brides of Christ. Mm. But it's not. Historically, the church won. I mean, like singular yeah, one. one. He purchased church. a bride, one, one singular bride mm. of which we are all a part. Yeah. None of us are walking down the aisle to Jesus mm. individually. The church has been bought and ransomed. The bride has been wed by Christ mm. singularly, though there are many. Well said. Right. So that, that's just, that's something else. Which to goes like, back to the Trinity. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. One yeah. in essence, yeah. three in person. It's just important. to, Yeah. So anyway, there's we, we can lay that one to bed. Well, I think sorry. One, one bed. Oh, one, one more question. To... Well, did you guys address this already? Like, obviously, the Bible speaks out against adultery many yeah. times. Yeah. But so would you consider polygamy adultery? Well, I mean, I would. And because I think that any additional marriage is a non-legitimate marriage, right? So like, mm -hmm. like I'm married to Danielle. If I took a second or third or fourth wife, that is in violation of the prescription that God has established for marriage. So I do not see them as legitimate. Now, we did talk about divorce and remarriage. I think there's grounds for divorce. I think there's grounds for remarriage. Right. And you're not committing adultery, remarrying. If there's been sufficient grounds for the divorce, you know, that's a whole different podcast. But if, if you're already married, you have one. Adam's married to Holly, but he's like, you know what I want? I want Sally too. Then I would not, I don't see that biblically, even if it was legally permitted in a context, I don't see that biblically as a God honoring true marriage. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that would be adultery. That's how Which I understand it. I would take it as something worth church discipline if one of our men wanted to do that at sunrise. I mean, no unless, he, unless he was trying to be like Solomon. No way. No, <laughs> no way. Can you even imagine? I have a question. So if David was called a, a man after God's own heart, uh -huh. How could God say that when he's living in habitual yeah. sin? Yeah, so like our, if our, in our you should context, be on the podcast more often, bro. If someone in our context was living in that habitual sin, we would say they're not saved, they're right. backslidden, right. apostate. So how does that work? When That's a good um, question. That's good. Jeffrey's going, hey, what about David caught a man after God's own heart? Or, you know, you look at the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, and like half those fellows had multiple wives. Even in the text I read, it yeah. said Solomon's heart was not like David's. Yeah, yeah. Even though David Even also though David had, had a lot of wives. wives. But they were Hebrew wives. It was okay. It wasn't a violation. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> no, um, I'm joking. They weren't all Hebrew wives. So what we understand about the, the scandalous nature of grace, and it is very scandalous, mm -hmm. is that we are called men and women after God's own heart by his grace primarily. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't like eradicate our need for like practical godliness and like, walk and stuff with the Lord and like obey his commandments. David was not in flux in his positional relationship before the Lord. So when he trusts in Yahweh as a teenager, presumably, and it starts writing the Psalms, and obviously we see this man of remarkable faith going up against Goliath, even though he compromises that later on in his life and obviously commits adultery outside of the bounds of marriage with Bathsheba, covers up with murder 
which you could argue, socially speaking, is worse than adultery. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't disqualify him, which is like really refreshing to our souls that like God's qualification of us in Christ for the Old Testament saints looking forward for us and the new covenant looking back is not, we're, not, we're not disqualified from that. And we're still people of God's own heart, even when we don't live as such. And Solomon was, I think, a believer, follower of Christ. And I think many of these Old Testament saints were, even though they lived in that. So it's difficult now. Now, one of the things to understand is as as the revelation of scripture has drawn forward, we have more clarity than they did. Like um, the writer of Hebrews says it's in Hebrews 1, that we're better off than the Old Testament saints because we understand now, like the veil has been removed from our eyes more now. Um, however, I think cultural context might matter, not when it comes to like a, the sin itself, but the understanding of that. And so if you're like in a tribal area in Africa and you have the scriptures there, but yet they practice polygamy, I, don't, I, I would still say it's sin, but I don't know if they would exercise church discipline no. in that historical no. context. No. Yeah. And I, we I would, would not hear. either. We would which, hear. Which we need yeah. to speak to. Yeah. So if, if people, yeah, in those contexts, polygamists and native tribes come to Christ, the whole tribe is converted usually because the chief goes that way, the whole tribe then learns of this Christ, embraces Christ, and they're already polygamists. They have multiple wives, maybe multiple husbands. I've, I've never heard of that being a thing. But I heard one time John Piper say that he would encourage not divorce, multiple divorces in that moment, but multiple faithfulnesses. But yeah. then you teach your kids, don't do what I have done. Yeah. Look at the scripture. Look what's implied here. Mm. Find one wife and be faithful to her. Don't do what I've done. I didn't do the right thing. I guess polygamy would kind of be on the scale. This probably sounds really weird culturally, but it would be higher than like socially speaking within the church for sure. Because church certain like, okay, church discipline is supposed to be enacted for any habitual sin. Sure. Right? But we don't. There are cultural implications. We, we don't. That we might... don't do it if somebody runs their mouth all yeah. the time, or somebody mm-hmm. consistently exhibits narcissistic behavior. Like we don't do it for that. Well, and not typically, <laughs> typically, unless they're a lead pastor, you know, uh, and then anything stinks. Um, <laughs> they're all, but, uh, always in the cross. But you know, like we we don't do that. But we would for even a one time sexual failure, you know, mm-hmm. typically. And so I think polygamy is somewhere in that muddied mix of going, you know, what would you do? I mean, it's never happened here. It might never happen here. Just culturally, it's so frowned upon. Anyway, um, yeah, I think we're done with this issue. Move on. Yeah. Let's talk about slavery. Yeah, slavery is bigger. So again, with the definitions, we need to define how slavery is used in the Bible based on how we might be thinking of it in modern times, post the like, Atlantic slave trade, like all of that, like a few chattel, hundred years ago. Chattel slavery. I yeah, think compared to, you term. know, 2,000 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very helpful. This, unlike polygamy, I think the definition really matters here. And even in the scripture in the Old Testament, we find different different methods of enslaving other people. Think the Israelites in Egypt enslaved against their will, mm. similar to how the modern... American experiment took place, taking image bearers from Africa, mm-hmm. shipping them over here, enslaving them against their will. That was very similar to the Egyptian uh, enslavement of the Israelites. But that was not always the case with slavery. Sometimes it looked very much like servitude. Sometimes these people willingly enlisted themselves into it. Yeah. But even in the five books of Moses that we have, 
there are very many stipulations all over the place about how to treat slaves, how masters are to be treated, not only within the slaves being commanded to do the work for the Lord, we move over into the New Testament now, but then masters to rule as under the Lord. And so both have a master is what Paul would say to this. But yeah, the modern, if someone asks this question, the Bible endorses slavery. We need to ask, what kind of slavery are you talking about? And not, not nine times out of 10, the people have asked me this question. They've got the American experiment in their, right. in their yeah, head. Yeah, I would say that most people that have an issue with slavery of the Bible, as it's generally understood, not the Hebrews in, in Egypt slavery, but the other forms of slavery, only have a problem with it culturally, not morally, typically. Meaning that we, wouldn't have, we really wouldn't have a problem with that form of servitude today. That, so like you talked about Moses giving prescriptions of how that's supposed to do. First of all, I think it's Exodus 21. Indentured servanthood. It's supposed to be. So Exodus 21 says clearly, I think it's like 21 verse 4, but you can look it up for yourself, um, where it says, do not kidnap and sell individuals. All right. So we have a clear cut statement on the prohibition of what would be akin to chattel slavery, right? Yeah. I'm right there. I think it's, like I said, I think it's Exodus 21. It is. Where it's very, very clear. Don't do this. Okay. That's not the form of slavery that would be condoned or servanthood, servitude that would be condoned. And so all of us and and those who have attacks against like Sam Harris, for example, I read a lot of his stuff and has, this is one of his big beefs with Christianity as we endorse slavery. No one, nowhere in scripture, no one in church, well, Unfortunately, there have been some There's church a lot history, of church history, yeah. but but when I, what I mean is when we're we're talking about this, no one in the churches today, as we're thinking through this, would condone a that form of what we would call modernized kidnapping, shipping across the Atlantic, transatlantic, mm-hmm. selling, exchanging as property. No one is no that's nowhere that's nowhere condoned biblically. Those in church history who would espouse that were wrong. Unfortunately, there are some godly people that were misled in that way, and they were just wrong. Like, they were completely wrong. They're erroneous, and they misinterpreted slavery in Scripture. The slavery you see in Scripture, this is why I say, I don't think it would be like, I think culturally, we're like, oh, slavery, like, we're opposed to it. But I don't think, like, so if, so the way it would work, it works very differently today because we have banks and we have loans and we have all this. But let's say Danny had incurred a major Mm, debt against me. She could come to me and be like, hey, if I become a servant in the current household for the next six years, and Exodus is also super clear that there was a stipulation, Seventh seven year. years max, seven years max, and then you're free. And then and if seven you have a, times seven. If you have a wife, she's free with you to right. go as well. Like she's right. not, but like Danny comes to me and says, hey, to pay off this debt, I'm going to become a servant in your house, live on your property for the next six years. Legally, you're supposed to take care of me while mm-hmm. I'm doing this. Like yeah. you can't mistreat me like we saw in kind of the Southern form of slavery in the 19th century. And then she pays off that debt. Like you wouldn't, like we, we're not used to that culturally, but that's why I say, I think that's typically the form of slavery that you see in scripture yeah. is that someone has accrued a debt or someone is so impoverished they can't live. And a slave master might actually be gracious enough to say, hey, you can't live, Adam. You can come live on my property. You can serve the needs of the household here. You can be kind of part of the bigger household as a, as a servant until you are established and you've paid off these debts and you have some credit to your name. And at the end of seven years, you can go free now. So it was, it was a willing surrender Almost always in antiquity, we talk about biblical slavery, it was a willing surrender of one's rights to say, I'm coming under to become like an indentured servant. And that's that's what you see with Philemon. 
and Onesimus mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Um, that's what you see with the commands in the New Testament from Paul of how slave owners are to treat their slaves and slaves are responding to slave owners, is that it is a more indentured servitude. It's very clear from the text and from the historical context around it. So we're not condoning, let's grab people. Let's And also one of the things really important to note is you never ever see an antiquity where it was racially charged. Racially, you do see where like countries are going and conquer other nations, yeah. and there might be slavery in that sort, which is which is different still than both these other forms that we've kind of addressed the modern form and the antiquated form. But you don't see where it was racially charged, where a group of people because of a skin color were grabbed hold of. Um, we're talking in ancient history. You could modern. say it was perhaps ethnic. Ethnicity yes. charged, or nationally, like the like, Romans against sure, the Jews, sure, nationally charged, That's but it. not not based on the skin color type yeah, thing. So right. a lot of the a lot of the ideas we have around slavery were just not how slavery was practiced hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago until the recent kind of that transatlantic African slave trade was established. That's what comes to most people's mind yeah. with slavery, right. and that's not the forms of slavery that you typically at all see in Scripture. And there's something of a gospel preview in the laws and commands that Moses gave Israel in Exodus about enslavement and all the servants and slaves that you have in your household, continually Moses reminds them, you shall not oppress, you shall not mistreat those under your care, for you were once slaves in Egypt yourselves, and the Lord redeemed you. And so being a redeemed one themselves, they ought to understand, therefore, the posture of leading a household with servants and slaves in it, that has to be part of it as well. And then this reminds us of gospel principles later on. I'm going to backpedal just a little bit here because Danny typically opens these podcasts by saying, why are we even talking about this? Mm. This is a way bigger issue than polygamy. Way Way bigger. Wait, 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 wait. wait, Because polygamy is kind of like something that's laughable. Like, okay, this is dumb. Like, why, why is, why, you know, why would scripture seemingly condone or condemn this? And yet people are getting married. But when we come to slavery, this is a morally reprehensible thing. Mm. And that's not to say like polygamy isn't in its own way, but this is morally reprehensible. The forms of slavery that we saw that kind of shaped part of the history of our nation back in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries. And we would hopefully all Christians today, which I know they wouldn't, and that's what's sick, is there are branches of Christianity that still think that that's okay somehow, which I don't even know if they're like truly Christianity. But anyway, like hopefully all of us understanding scripture would say that form of slavery is debauchery and is evil, and scripture never condones that. Yeah, and we've got even whole movements that come under the banner of the church today Specifically, I'm thinking of black churches that have a kind of liberation theology that their whole theological worldview and construct is largely shaped by their own experience a few hundred years ago. And even, goodness, not even just a few hundred years ago, like my father-in-law grew up in Southern Alabama, still in segregated schools. He remembers when segregation stopped and that was his life. This is not that far removed from us. And so this has wildly and very sadly impacted whole movements within Christendom today in the West, and especially the black churches. Um, And we're starting to see something of a recovery in those churches away from liberation theology towards something of more gospel-centered, saturated churches. I think of 
H.B. Charles is doing a lot of this work, spearheading this. And it's very healthy, very encouraging. But there's something from our point of view where we need to not look at that with suspicion, but look at that with some understanding, discussion, dialogue, and seeing what we can do to work together arm in arm as the church. Because sadly, Sunday morning is still one of the most segregated hours of the week in our country. And it should not be the case ever. And this is on all colors here. White churches are real white. Asian churches are real Asian. Black churches are real black. And it is sadly the minority that we see multicultural movements uh, within the church. Which I think maybe it's like an entirely different podcast that we ought to do. On, is That'd that, be good. Is that That'd something that we're actually charged to? Because you've heard pursue, that cry a lot. Should um, we? Yes. Should we pursue right, that? Right. I think obviously. That's a good question. I think obviously the Christian answer is we should not like stand be against, against it. it. Yeah. But like, <laughs> is that something that we're like really? And I think that's a good discussion yeah. to have because it's easy to buy into the cultural norms once again of what right. what racial reconciliation looks like. Sure. Which the church has sadly done just bought into cultural position. Right. But I agree with you. It is there mm. is unfortunately, and I think there's there's something insidious there that does come from the evil practices of slavery, yeah. at least in some way that existed in our nation centuries ago. Question. Yeah. How Dan- can Danny's some of our... Question. Oh, sorry. This is for I'll you. say it. We're Danny, wrapping up. How can some of our greatest theologians that we love have had and held slaves in their time? I'm thinking George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, two of the foremost examples. Mm. How do we, how do we reconcile this? Be ready to cut out my answer if it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) Just cultural sins, just in the same way that, Mm. like, it's still wrong what they did, but it was culturally accepted. There were not probably many people that were calling them out on it and calling them to obedience in scripture. And and in this way, it's similar to polygamy in that you become so culturally acclimated to something. I mean, we're doing it. We just mentioned it in some regard. We're doing it with the racial reconciliation discussion, which is a discussion we should have. But people have been so culturally ingrained with an idea of what that means now, mm-hmm. like they were with slavery in past centuries, like they were with polygamy in centuries beyond that, um, and like with so many other things that now we answer things culturally instead of biblically. And I think mm-hmm. that's what happened. These guys had feet of clay. Edwards. Yeah. For all his brilliancy, one yeah. of the greatest theologians of all time, probably top five theologians in Christian history. Yep. And yet feet of clay. Right. Um, so did Calvin, mm-hmm. um, who didn't, I don't think, practice slavery, but had major anger issues. <laughs> major. And so people afraid to talk to yeah, him. Yeah, people afraid to talk to him. Sounds familiar. Um, so <laughs> there's a but there there is um there's something to be said for, man, we idolize people, whether it's in our modern context or in the in the past. And we just shouldn't do that. Like we, like we have, we're all fallen people. We all have feet of clay. Like we all struggle. We all have sins that we accept into our lives that we shouldn't accept. Mm-hmm. And I think they did sins that, that are prominent. Th- things in are our so own easy time. for us to look back yeah. and be like, "Yeah, John, what were you thinking, bro?" Yeah. <laughs> like, like George, Whit- George Whitfield. See, like they could see some of the things we struggle with yeah. and be like, "What are y'all doing?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? So, back so forth. that's. Um, I think I want to wrap it up with, you know, a question we've talked about before: God of the Old Testament versus God of the New, mm. and. Look, clearly, if you if you listen out of Oz, you know this. Same God, same constant, same faithfulness. Last night we had an elder meeting, and I was asked to bring the devotional for elder meeting. And it was actually before we had a member in our church this week who was in a horrific car accident. And I had planned it before I found out about that, before we went to the hospital yesterday and sang with his family and with him. And um, the text was Lamentations 3. Mm. And so I brought this up. And 
for me, it, it hit heavy. But this is the God of the Old Testament. And the writer of Lamentations is basically saying, you have done really, really difficult and hard things before me because of the sin upon the world and even perhaps my own individual sin. And yet then he comes to, you know, what is it, 21, 22, 23? 21 to 23. And it's like, nevertheless, I call it to mind. Uh, the Lord's faithfulness is constant. Mm. His grace, mercy, new every morning. Great is your Great faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Yeah. That's the God of the Old Testament we're talking about there and the God of the New, like yeah. the same God mm. in both. Never condoning slavery as we understand it, the evil of history, never condoning polygamy across the Old Covenant or the New. And we have this same, and in a world that's constantly changing, in a world we've already admitted this morning, that <laughs> in each generation we accept certain things that another generation would see as deplorable. It's really refreshing to know that there's this faithful, merciful, God who doesn't change. Mm. It's just yeah. kind of a, a constant staple and in, in all of his majesty doesn't change. So Amen. Now with this, we're kind of hang our hats. That's it for today. Polygamy, slavery. We addressed it, I think. We'll see you next time. <laughs> see ya. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.